Have you ever heard anyone talk about how much they love being stuck in traffic, caught in a traffic jam? No, I've never heard anyone say that either. But I did learn a lesson from being stuck in a long line of slow-moving stop-and-go traffic. I'll share it with you coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Josh Rayner. All right, so here we are, the 14th of December. You've got, what, uh, 11 more shopping days? That's it? That's all you got here. Okay. So, being stuck in traffic. When I was 10 years old, my mom, she scheduled a summer vacation for us. We were going to be spending a little over a week down in California. We lived up in Idaho at the time, and we were traveling down to visit my sister. She was married, uh, had one small daughter. Now she has four children and four grandchildren, but only had one small daughter at the time. And while we were there visiting her, we were also going to then spend a few days attending a Christian conference center near Santa Cruz. It's a place called Mount Hermon. This was before I was Catholic, and uh, uh, my sister, she lived in Livermore. If you're familiar with the Bay Area of California, traveling from Livermore to Santa Cruz, it should take somewhere between an hour to an hour and a half, somewhere around there. But not that day, not when we were traveling. That day, when we had gotten a little south of San Jose, We came to a near standstill there on the highway. I don't know how long the line of cars was that stretched up ahead, and I really don't have a good frame of reference for how long we were waiting. You know how it is when you're 10 years old. If you have to wait an hour, even if you have to wait 30 minutes just being bored sitting there with nothing to do, it can feel like you're aging. (laughs) You've, You've seen a year or two of your life go by. I do remember craning my neck, trying to see ahead of the cars in front of us, which, of course, was this act of complete futility. I couldn't see anything but cars going on for miles and miles. Now, at the age of 10, the only real reason I had experienced of us having to wait on an open road like this was road construction, you know, being stopped there by the worker with stop sign. They'd turn it to slow. You'd move through the area and then get on your way. And I asked my mom if that was what was holding us up. And she said, no, she was guessing it was a traffic accident, that all of the cars were inching slowly, being cautious, first of all, for the emergency workers that were up ahead wherever this accident had happened, but also that all of the drivers They were going by very slowly, taking a nice long look at the accident as they passed it. And I didn't believe her. I said, no, there's no way. People wouldn't be so stupid as to hold up traffic just so that they could see a couple of wrecked cars. But eventually we got to where we could see there was indeed a traffic accident. The two cars, by the time we had gotten there, they'd been moved off the highway. They weren't there in the middle. But there were still some police. There were other emergency responders that were working at the site. And sure enough, even when we were several cars back, but close enough to see everything, as soon as we, uh, uh, as soon as as each car, it passed that site, and it looked at the wreckage, all of a sudden, bang, they were off. They sped ahead. They were back at normal highway speeds. And then in the opposite lane, the cars that were traveling in the other direction 
they were experiencing the exact same thing. I looked at that long line of cars backed up for miles in the opposite lane there. And I was dumbfounded. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing there. And I couldn't believe how long our progress had been stalled. The thing is, we were actually not very far away at that point from our final destination of Mount Hermon. I don't know if we were, you know, 10, 20 miles away at that point, maybe even less. And we'd been traveling at a fine pace before coming up on that accident there. But we found ourselves stuck out there on the highway, not able to move forward. And regardless of the reality of our proximity to Mount Hermon, being stuck there like that, it made it feel like our destination was just forever away from us. We'd never get there. Sometimes our spiritual life can be like that. We have those times where everything seems good. You know, we're moving forward. We have a pretty clear view of what's happening all around us. At other times, though, we might feel like we're kind of stuck in place. We're stalled. God seems distant. We're not sure when we'll get moving again. When you have those low points or those moments where you feel kind of stuck, what do you do? When you find yourself in that time of spiritual dryness, what should your response be? That's what we want to talk about today here on The Inner Life. What we can do when we find ourselves in those periods of spiritual dryness. And joining us for the hour as our spiritual director, Father Matthew Spencer is here with us once again. He is a priest with the Oblates of St. Joseph, and he is the provincial superior and the shrine director for the Oblates of St. Joseph based in Santa Cruz, California. Father Matthew, welcome back to The Inner Life. I hope your uh, Advent season has been blessed for you so far. Thanks, Josh. Uh, It has been. Praise God. You know, it's been a very blessed and productive, fruitful Advent season, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to Christmas. So Good. Good to be with you today. Yeah, well, and, uh, you know, talking about growing up kind of in your neck of the woods where you are there in Santa Cruz, mm. and it's a beautiful area, um, but it's, uh, I think the traffic is far worse now here in the 2020s <laughs> than it ever was in the 1980s when I was on the road there with my mom, but... Uh, all that, all that backed up traffic, you know, we can feel like that kind of in our lives. The reason we wanted to talk about this spiritual dryness, those times where it seems like we get kind of stalled in our spiritual progress, today is the memorial of St. John of the Cross, and he uh, really spoke a lot about this concept of the dark night of the soul. And so we specifically wanted to talk about that experience here today on his feast. Can you tell us a little about his life, uh, what we know of him? Uh, Yes, St. John of the Cross lived a a rather short life, just under 50 years old, I believe. Uh, He lived in the 16th century, and he was a a close collaborator and friend of St. Teresa of Avila. And so John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila, both Carmelites, saw that their their religious community was was becoming maybe uh, somewhat lax in their spiritual disciplines and both of these saints felt this great zeal to to uh, intensify their relationship with God to even invite others in their order to to join them in more disciplined more intense approach to religious life and so they 
they began this process of a re the reformation of the of the Carmelite order. And, uh, and because of that, you can imagine there were a lot of people that were not interested in, in reforming uh, or, or creating a more disciplined, more intense form of religious life. Um, and so they went through great suffering, both, both uh, John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. In fact, John of the Cross was arrested, imprisoned. He was um, kept by his own brothers. You know, he was kept in isolation for a long time. And it was, it was in this isolation that he, uh, he he's a, he's a well-known, world-renowned as a, as an incredible poet. And so he took these, these experiences that he had in, in this great isolation that he experienced in great suffering. And he penned these beautiful poems and he, he describes both the dark night of the senses and the dark night of the soul, two different experiences that are part of, of the spiritual uh, movement towards God. So yeah, John of the Cross is a doctor of the church. He's a, right. he's an incredible saint, very well. Uh, I mean, just an incredible spiritual director for, for all of us. He's also someone, along with Teresa of Avila, both of them referred to as being mystics. Whenever we hear that, what does that mean, you know, that a saint is a mystic? <laughs> that's a that's a great question, Josh, because mysticism is is so confused <laughs> in our times. Um, I mean, how many times have we heard people, or maybe our friends, even and family members, say, "Well, I'm I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual." Right. There's right. this there's this desire for a mystical spiritual, but but without all the trappings of religion, people think. Mysticism itself uh, predates Christianity. I mean, it's this philosophical idea that, that the soul is seeking union with God. So we take that as Christians and we say, well, that's, that's true. Our soul is seeking union with God. Uh, but as Christians, we realize that the soul can only do so much in that process, that any union with God comes as a grace, as a gift from him. So mysticism is this pursuit of that union with God's will and union in our life. The, 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 the real trick of it, though, Josh, is that uh, if it becomes, if that pursuit becomes the end goal, as if I just want this spiritual experience, as if I want to escape the material world and just float on the sky with my mind only fixed on, on interesting things in heaven, then, then we're missing the point of Christianity, which is that we also have bodies and that we have to unite not only our soul, but our whole will, our whole, um, I should say, our whole body, the whole of ourself to God. So mysticism is a beautiful thing. It's, it's very, uh, it's a part of our Christian tradition. It's also very important to put it into context that, because without, without the clear boundaries of our faith, mysticism becomes this, this really amorphous spirituality pursuit that uh, can become very much misinterpreted. Mm. Well, thank you for the explanation. Uh, so you mentioned the two different dark nights, those experiences that St. John of the Cross talks about, the dark night of the senses, the dark night of the soul. And some of those go into, the, there are these stages, these states that the church has talked about for centuries, um, that how how we progress through the spiritual life. I guess one of the thoughts I have, maybe before we even get into some of that and kind of you know understand that better, I find it encouraging 
that so many holy people have gone through this kind of spiritual dryness, you know, another word we use for this desolation, that they've gone through this in their lives. You know, so many of the saints have written about this. Um, Even King David, someone described as a man after God's own heart, he writes in several of the Psalms about how he's feeling abandoned or forgotten by God. All his enemies are hedging in around him. You know, there's all of this. Jesus repeats the words of one of those Psalms when he's hanging on the cross, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me, or why have you abandoned me? So if we find ourselves in a position where we feel like God seems absent, he isn't there, he isn't listening, I guess my first thought is, you know, to help us not despair, we're, we're in good company, you know, with so many other people who have gone on before us. Uh, we are. In fact, we could look at, at a whole uh, parade of saints that have gone before us that have experienced intense dryness in their life. John of the Cross is one, Teresa of Avila is another, Therese of Lisieux, well-known, went experienced this spiritual dryness in our own times. Mother Teresa of Calcutta is famously uh, known for having spent decades of her life in yeah. a very dark, dry period. Um, you know, Josh, I think what I would say is this. Uh, we have to, to understand spiritual dryness and why it exists in the spiritual life. We have to we have to understand what we're trying to accomplish in the spiritual life. We are we are attempting with God's grace to unite ourselves completely to him and to make sure that his will is accomplished, right? This is the point of our prayer. This is the point of all of our liturgical endeavors to to glorify God and to unite ourselves to to God himself. Sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that, well, my spiritual life is about feeling good, or my spiritual life is about getting my way. My spiritual life is about saying my prayers so that my life goes well, for example. But that's, um, that's not true. <laughs> we, we ho- I hope and I pray that things do go well in our lives. But sometimes we pray and, and we don't see immediately the answer to our prayers. Sometimes we we pray and work on our relationship with God and we we don't experience uh, great consolation in our life. And because of that, we sometimes think failing or we must be doing something wrong. But in order to understand spiritual dryness, we have to say, well, our, our, our end goal is union with God, right? Our end goal is embracing completely God's will. And that process does have periods of consolation. It does have periods of great joy, of great uh, reward in our in our spiritual life. But it also comes with great um, growth and discipline. It comes with tr- uh, treading through drudgery and difficult times because that's how character is built, right? So to to really accomplish the end goal in our spiritual life, union with God and uh, being with him forever in the next life, we have to realize that our spiritual life will include sometimes some great crosses and difficulties, and that's part of us growing in holiness. Yeah, you know, another way that I heard it described is along the lines of us striving to love God, and that, you know, the, the idea of trying to love God as perfectly as we can is, uh, so that we can, again, looking at that end goal, be in heaven where we will love God perfectly. Um, outside of that context, outside of that <laughs> looking at that end goal, 
it doesn't make any sense for us to be in those periods of desolation, those periods of dryness, because they wouldn't serve any purpose other than, like you said, going back to making us feel good or feel, you know, lousy. If if it's if that's mm. the end of it by itself, then why bother going through the process? But the great reward that we have in store is that it is that end goal that you're talking about, that we will be united with Christ, that we will experience his love in the most amazing way that we can't even imagine here in this life, but that also we will then let go of those attachments, those those attachments to sin, to our passions that are holding us back from loving God the way that we should love him. And I, I, I'm so glad you brought that up initially, because even as we talk, I think the rest of this hour, the conversation, it won't make sense if we don't have that mm. in mind for all the other things that we're talking about. Um, again, talking with Father Matthew Spencer here on The Inner Life today and talking about those times of spiritual dryness and want to invite you into the conversation here. When have you experienced that dryness in your spiritual journey or in your prayer life? And what helped you through that time? Maybe you're struggling with a dryness in your spiritual life right now, and you'd like some advice, you'd like to be able to speak with Father Matthew Spencer, our phone number here into the studio, 888-914-9149, We'll talk about the, the, what it really means to be in those times of spiritual consolation and desolation. We'll talk about different stages in that journey of the soul. Coming up next here on The Inner Life, you're listening to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Today, we'd like to thank Anne, who's listening in Minnesota for donating her Fleetwood RV trailer. Join thousands of other listeners and donate your old vehicle by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. Christmas without you So You don't have to be blue. This is The Inner Life. Welcome back. I'm Josh Raymond. Our producer, Nick, loves Elvis. Uh, he might sneak a, another Elvis song in every once in a while just because it's... Uh, <laughs> he's the one pushing the buttons there. So I uh, want to say thank you to Nick as well as to Thomas and Gesser helping to screen calls here for the hour. Today, talking on this Memorial of St. John of the Cross about those times of spiritual dryness and speaking with Father Matthew Spencer, a priest with the Oblates of St. Joseph here on The Inner Life today, inviting you into the conversation as well if you'd like to speak with Father Matthew. The phone number here, 888-914-9149. Have you gone through that time of spiritual dryness? What helped you to be able to persevere, to be able to um, not, not give in to despair in those moments, but to be able to say, okay, I'm going to trust the goodness of God and 
how were you able to make it through that time? Maybe you're in the midst of that right now, and you'd like to speak with Father Matthew. Again, our phone number, 888-914-9149. Father Matthew, we've talked here in the past on The Inner Life about spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation. Um, That's something that a lot of times is brought up in Ignatian spirituality with the discernment of spirits. And when we talk desolation, that's that kind of spiritual dryness. We have the consolation. You know, God seems to be close to us in those moments. We're experiencing, as you talked about it, that joy uh, in that relationship with God. But this idea of consolation and desolation in the spiritual life, it's part of a bigger path that God has for us. And the church fathers, the doctors, other saints— They've outlined this in three different stages or states in the spiritual life that are called the purgative way, the illuminative way, and the unitive way. Um, Maybe we can look at each of those a little individually, but can you kind of at least give us maybe an opening idea of what this is and what we should, how we should approach this? Yeah, this is, this is a very helpful, uh, paradigm to look at your spiritual life and journey and the purgative illuminative and unitive states are these uh these steps along the way in our spiritual journey that help us to understand where we're at now we should be clear here josh it's it's very hard it's it's a total mystery sometimes trying to understand what's happening in our spiritual life so the idea is not to not to categorize everybody and put them in a box, sure. but rather to look at these three stages and say, well, where am I in my spiritual journey and what are the tools that are going to help me given approximately where I'm at? So the idea is that the purgative step or stage is the time in which we're uh, we're a beginner in the spiritual life. We're eliminating sin, uh, habitual sin, mortal sin, our passions oftentimes during this stage still have uh, quite a hold on us. There's a lot of sway over us. And, and frankly, Josh, the purgative way oftentimes will will have to rear its head again later in life. You know, we, we can attain a certain level of holiness and then uh, feel like we're backsliding and, you know, 30, 40 years into our journey experience a lot of a lot more temptation, a lot more um, experience of sin. So the purgative step is a time in which we're, and it's called purgative because it's a cleansing stage. We're, we're being called to cleanse our life of all these disordered attachments. And next is, uh, excuse me, were you going to... Well, I, I, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I'm glad, you know, to, because I think... It, it might be easy to have this sense that, okay, I get through one and I'm done. I, I never have to go back there. You know, it's kind of like, okay, I made it through high school. I never have to go back to high school again. But that there's fluidity that we could find ourselves back in that at different points. I was reading through, reading up on these three in the Catholic Encyclopedia this morning. And I'm glad you also mentioned that kind of as a beginner state here with the purgative process. But, um, you know, it's it's where you're still kind of doing that battle with temptation regularly, uh, you know, passions that we have. But I, I, I think this is definitely where I am. I, I would imagine most of us kind of find ourselves regularly in this purgative state here. Even as you go on to describe the illuminative and the unitive, um, it seems like, boy, those—I'd really have to make some amazing strides by God's grace— to be at this point where God is working in such a profound way in these next two stages. 
Yeah, I, th I think th there's no shame in admitting that we're beginners. Oftentimes for our whole life, we're, we're beginners. It's not like this is a, this is not a contest. It's not like, oh, Father Matthew has to be better than everybody else around me and has to be not a beginner, but far advanced in the spiritual life. No, the, the point is for us to, to make progress, little though it might be, to make uh, that progress that we can based on, on where we're at. And sometimes these, these stages will last for decades for us. And, and that's okay because this purification is happening oftentimes without us even noticing it. So then there's the illuminative state or way in the spiritual life. Can you give us a little background on that stage? So the illuminative, illuminative stage is when somebody has, has largely eliminated mortal sin from their life, if not completely eliminated mortal sin from their life. Uh, and now they're, they're, they're focused a lot on the spiritual life and pleasing the Lord. What's interesting, actually, Josh, is that people often won't recognize that they're already at the illuminative stage because now they're more sensitive to sin and now they're now they're more concerned about pleasing God and now they don't feel like they're any holier because they, their sensitivity to sin has has increased but but in fact their their mind is more occupied with pleasing the Lord with fulfilling his commandments it's less occupied with our own selfishness and doing our own thing and the idea of, or, or the reason that it's called the illuminative stage is that there is more light being shed on us in our spiritual light. There's more awareness of, of these previously hidden workings of grace in our life. But even as you say, there's more light that's being you know given us, that's being shed on these different areas in our life. This is also kind of the place that St. John of the Cross talks about where you can experience that dark night of the senses or that dark night of the soul. Yes, it's true. It's, um, it's rather paradoxical. On the one hand, the more advanced we, we, uh, we uh, make progress in the spiritual life, the more grace is accessible to us. But on the other hand, the more <laughs> sometimes the the more the veil seems to be over our eyes, and we don't notice that grace working there. And this is why John of the Cross will describe the dark night of the senses and later the dark night of the soul as these ways of purifying us and opening us up to an awareness of God's grace more. My understanding is that it's it's somewhat typical. I mean, you know, everybody can be. Uh, unique in their own path, but there are certain things that we see that, you know, that's why we're talking about these stages, because they seem to be somewhat universal in the spiritual journey. And so my my understanding is that prior to having that experience, that prolonged dark night experience, or that lengthy desolation, most saints have experienced a really profound time of consolation leading up to that. God gives them this real encounter so that they can look back, they can be reminded that, well, God really did show me he is real, he does exist, along with being reassured that they can trust him even when things do seem, in the moment, overwhelmingly dark. Yes, I think that's exactly right. 
we as human beings, we need to understand the reward of, of sacrifice <laughs> along the way. So we have to understand, for example, that, oh, if I, if I work really hard at my studies, I'm going to get that certificate that I'm seeking. And that certificate will then get, allow me to get a job. And that job will allow me to attain success in life. And we can see the, the value of, of putting in the hours and staying at my computer and writing papers and things like this. Uh, that's an analogy, but the idea is that if without a sense of what the reward is, then it seems meaningless for us to put in the, the sacrifice to get there. And I think the spiritual life is the same way, especially early on in our conversion. God will will entice us with these beautiful consolations. You know, he'll, he'll uh, help us to see the value of growing closer to him, which is to experience more peace, which is to have a better appreciation for the workings of grace, which is to, to see the benefit of, of making sacrifices in our life. But little by little, he takes those, those consolations away right? He takes those rewards away. And, and that's why, Josh, I think that dryness in the spiritual life, contrary to what it feels like, is actually a sign of advancing in the spiritual life. Right. The person who's experiencing dryness feels like nothing's happening. They feel like they're not making progress. They feel like maybe even God has just abandoned them now. Uh, when in fact, what's happening under the hood is that God is desiring to purify them of their motives for for seeking him in the first place. So instead of just looking for God because it feels good, instead of just looking for God because things go right for me, now I'm looking and seeking God for him and for him alone. And I think that's a it's a, an important part of understanding spiritual dryness to realize that it's a, a part of the purification process in our spiritual lives. Well, and one thing I read earlier this morning, I mentioned I was going through looking at, at the, um, the, the Catholic Encyclopedia, and I forget exactly what the phrase was, but it was basically along the lines of that even in those moments of darkness where God has kind of you know allowed us to experience that— God will still have made sure that we are strong enough, that we can make it through those times, that we can persevere in loving him even when it feels that he is distant. Yeah, and perhaps that's why dryness is important and, and just suffering in general in the spiritual life is important because it, it makes us realize that it's not my willpower. It's not my commitment that's making all of this happen. It's because God is... is holding me and strengthening me in grace and God is providing that progress that I'm seeking. So maybe it's it's a reminder that well this is not because I'm doing the right prayers or because I have the right gifts and talents to do this but instead because because God is providing and he's leading me through this process. Father Matthew Spencer is with us here today on The Inner Life as our spiritual director as we talk about those moments that we experience of spiritual dryness, and have you gone through those moments yourself? How have you been able to persevere through that spiritual dryness, that spiritual desolation? What helped you to be able to be uh, constant during that time, 
to not just say, ah, this is, this is pointless or give in to that despair that you might have felt. Maybe you're going through that right now and you'd like to speak with Father Matthew. The phone number 888-914-9149. That's the number to call into the studio here. Again, 888-914-9149. Father, let's go to Larry, who's listening in La Palma, California. Larry, welcome to The Inner Life. You're on the air with Father Matthew. Thank you, Father. Thank you, both you guys. Father Matthew, thank you so much. And listening to you right now, actually, uh, I was touched. Uh, such a moving experience. I'm going through desolation, and um, everything that you described just a moment ago, I was experiencing, and I realized going through desolation is a cha- has been so challenging for me. And I was almost to the point where I was resentful um, because I just wasn't experiencing anything. And I've been uh, devoted to my holy hour more so now than ever before. And um, for whatever reason, I felt the desolation was stronger. But listening to you, man, it was, sorry, <clears throat> excuse me, I get a little choked up because um, it was so, you said, you, you hit the nail right on the head. I feel like he's challenging me and he wants me to um, endure this to, you know, like, I don't know if it's like a test or what, but it, it feels really good to to have heard what you said. It really moved me. I'm sorry for the emotion. I don't usually get this emotional. Uh, no need to apologize, moving. Larry. No. Uh, Not at thanks all, Larry. For calling yeah. I, yeah. I appreciate your, your testimony, Larry, because, um, yeah, it, it could be it could be a test, right? It could be God uh, giving you this this test in order to prove your commitment to Him. It could be a, a form of communi- uh, of purification, I should say, in your life. Uh, w- Larry, what I'm thinking as you're talking is a quote from Winston Churchill that I, I really like. He said, "If you're going through hell, keep going, right? Don't stop and stay in that suffering. So if you're experiencing great desolation," Don't just give up because then you're you're going to remain there, right? Keep going, keep working through it. And believe it or not, there is progress that you'll see in life. There is progress that's happening, even, even when we don't notice it, even if we don't see improvements or greater consolations. By the very fact that we're enduring and persevering in the spiritual life, uh, there is progress that's occurring. Glad to have you as part of the program, Larry. And uh, Nick, we're going to get to your phone call coming up in just a minute, but we do need to take one more short break here. This is The Inner Life, our phone number if you would like to call in and speak with Father Matthew Spencer, 888-914-9149. Again, that's the phone number to call in as we're talking today about spiritual dryness in your your spiritual life, your spiritual journey. Again, the phone number, 888-914-9149. Back with more in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center, helping you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at relevantradio.com Gregory. That's relevantradio.com Gregory. Hopefully Christmas means even more than that. Hopefully, of course, it means waiting, watching, anticipating the arrival of Christ coming into the world at Christmas. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond. Welcome back to The Inner Life. Love Stevie Wonder, though. 
Um, our phone number here today, if you would like to join the program, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, talking about spiritual dryness, the desolation that we experience in the spiritual journey. And Father Matthew Spencer is our spiritual director here today for the hour. And uh, Father, before we kind of get into maybe some other aspects of the spiritual dryness. Let's go back to the phones. We've got Nick, who's calling in from California. Nick, you're on the air with Father Matthew. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I was calling because I heard Larry's call, and it's kind of the same situation that I find myself in. But in specifically, I just wanted to share just an um, anecdotal thing that I was. I have a sister-in-law who I was um, a sponsor for, for her confirmation. She... Uh, later in life, she had a child with a man she was living with, and her, you know, and they lived together for a long time, and they considered themselves married. But I was praying constantly for her, for her conversion, to get her marriage blessed, to be able to be married in the church, and I always constantly pray for the gift, the, the grace of a final repentance for everybody I love, you know. And I usually these are my daily prayers. But um, just in October. She passed away very suddenly, 39 years old, and no, re- no rhyme or reason. Just she was perfectly healthy. Her heart just stopped. And as I was looking at her in the bed in the hospital, I questioned God. I said, how can you let this happen? All the sacrifices, all the prayers that I gave, and all the things that I offered up for her conversion, for her to be married and to be reconciled to you, and here she is. She's, she's dead. And I felt so much desolation at that point. I felt, what's it all for? All the stuff that I've done. And now there's a 10-year-old boy and his father that are left behind. And I feel as though all the, you know, the 15 or plus years that I've been offering prayers and sacrifices and rosaries for her specifically, but also for my wife's conversion, I don't see any fruit. I don't see anything happening. And I feel as though, am I... And I feel like all that was for naught. And I feel like I, I just, is it doing anything? And I feel like, why, why should I go through this if I don't see any consolation? And now I'm at that point where I still continue my daily rosary. I try to pray. I try to go make a holy hour at least once a week. And I just, I'm, I went to confession about this, and I said, Lord, I'm sorry for questioning your providence, but it's really tough when you see something like that happen, and you say, where were you in all this? I I did everything that I was supposed to do, I thought. And now— Nick, that's such an an honest question, and my heart goes out to you. Uh, You know, Father, that's such a— such a tough situation where you don't see the the end result of your prayers, and you you do find yourself in those moments questioning what was it even worth it? What was the point? What would you say to help Nick out here? Yeah, well, first of all, Nick, I want I want to thank you for calling in and and sharing your experience because uh, as hard as that was, I know that you're not alone. I know many others also feeling like, well, they've been praying for years, maybe decades for the conversion of their loved ones. And and it feels like those prayers are falling on deaf ears. Sometimes it feels like God is is indifferent maybe to all of our appeals and, and our, our zeal in, in asking him for these things. 
my my encouragement to you, Nick, uh, is to realize that we, we you judge your prayers based on the fruits that you see them right now. Uh, w- what I mean by that is certainly Jesus says by their fruits, you will know them. Certainly we can see fruits that come from our prayers, but we also don't know how long that will take. And we don't know the state of your sister-in-law's soul at the end of her life. We don't know uh, what place there in her final moments and, and what kind of conversion she might have experienced, perhaps due in part to all of your prayers, right? And that that's the hard part about, about uh, faith and about the life of prayer is that we don't always see the, the immediate result of that. Uh, but we can be confident that our prayers are heard. We can be confident that God is not indifferent to our prayers because this is what the whole of Scripture continually tries to to drive home to us, that God cares about us, that God loves us, that God does listen to us. Uh, but the, the timing in which he answers those prayers is is quite different than, than what we would expect and what we would want. So, Nick, all of this to say that... Um, I think this is what you're experiencing is, is an important part of the life of faith. And I know that's a that's a hard thing to swallow because, well, we'd, we'd rather see before their, the death of our loved ones some sign that, in fact, they changed. Um, just one, one more little consolation, Nick, I'd like to share with you. I was thinking as you were talking about St. Therese of Lisieux, who, as a little child, learned that this um, this murderer was going to be executed in the public square, and she took it upon herself to really pray for his conversion in his final days and hours. And so she played, prayed fervently and more fervently for this, for this prayer, or, or for his conversion. And um, apparently, right before she read in, in the newspaper, right on the day that he was executed, as he was climbing the climbing to to reach the gallows uh there was a, a a crucifix that was presented to him and in that moment he kissed the crucifix and saint therese of Lisieux always interpreted that as a sign of his conversion now notice he never he never actually went to confession prior to that he had been rebuffing all of the chaplains that were trying to get him to repent but saint therese of Lisieux saw in that very tiny action uh, a little sign of his repentance, and all I'm all I'm doing in sharing that with you is that uh, it's it's an act of faith that we we look and and trust that our prayers are having an impact and an effect. And yeah, we might not see even that little sign that Saint Therese of Lisieux uh, was able to witness, but that doesn't mean that conversion isn't happening, and it doesn't mean that our prayers are not heard. It means that we have to persevere in prayer and uh, turn them over to God, even when there feels like there's great desolation. Nick, thanks for calling. And, you know, Father, as you're sharing that story of St. Therese, I believe even at that prisoner's execution, he had been offered the ability to have a priest hear his confession, and he outright mm-hmm. refused it. Um, you know, he, he was mm-hmm. kind of vehemently opposed to that, and it's only the only sign that was given was just as you said, he, he kissed that crucifix right before his life ended there. Um, you know, we, we just don't know how God is working in somebody else's life. The other thing that I, I'd like to point out with Nick, and you had said this also with Larry, you know, when we find ourselves in those moments of spiritual dryness, spiritual desolation, 
where we find ourselves, oh, you know, where is God? Is he, is he listening? He feels so far away that Nick had said, I'm still praying my regular prayers. I'm still praying the rosary. That routine that we've established before we enter into that time of spiritual dryness, it's so important to not break from that, but that's the time where it's more important than ever to continue on with those healthy spiritual habits that we've built up before we enter that that dryness. That's right. It's it's we could use an analogy of exercise. People will reach a plateau in in their progress or maybe losing weight. They'll reach a plateau and it seems like no matter the sacrifices they're doing aren't aren't having a, a tangible effect. Uh, but you have to stick with it to get through those plateaus, right? You don't say, oh, well, I guess I'm going to go back and eat that whole key lime pie, you know, that I was avoiding. And no, we have to say, look, we have to stick with those disciplines. And and with time, we will see progress and sometimes really dramatic progress after we get through those periods. So you're right. We, we stick with those devotions because uh, even though we're not seeing the immediate result of them, they're important in our spiritual life. And the hard part, Josh, is that the temptation uh, in those times is to say, well, it doesn't feel like these prayers are working, so what's the point of continuing them? So we feel the exact opposite of what we should be doing. We feel that we might as well just stop praying because it's not having an effect when, when really what we need to do is stick with those prayers and perhaps even mix it up with, with some more prayers. You talked earlier in the hour about the dark night of both the senses as well as the dark night of the soul. Can you help us understand what what does someone experience in both of those times? These are very important concepts, Josh, and I think they're they're oftentimes uh, minimized by people. We, we go through a hard period and then we'll immediately say, oh, this must be the dark night of the soul, the hardest thing I've ever experienced. Um, but it, it's important to realize John of the Cross would speak of these as very technical experiences. They're not just hardships. They're not just hard times. Let's say I, I lose my a loved one and therefore I find myself in this very dark period. That's not necessarily the dark night of the senses or of the soul. The dark night of the senses is a, a work of grace that God does in us, right? It's not something that I do or it's not the circumstances around me. It's the grace of God working to purify me from my attachments to, to things or to relationships or to pleasures, to, attach, to detach me from uh, a worldly focus and to lead me to focus only on God. And then the dark night of the soul is, is a much more profound, much less common experience in which somebody goes through this intense, and, and everybody who's experienced this, Josh, you have to realize, has, has been at a loss for words for this. I mean, we know that John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila went through this with all of their erudition. They try to explain what this is and, and it just falls flat, right? They can't quite explain it. I know uh, uh, St. Teresa, I'm sorry, St. Maria Faustina Kowalska went through a dark night of the soul. And it's always this uh, experience of practical abandonment from God, of feeling completely cut off from God, feeling total isolation from him. We're talking dryness to the nth degree, right? There, there's this feeling that they're totally disconnected from God at all. 
but God does that as a way to um, to purify them completely of even any spiritual maladies that afflict them. So we should pray for these experiences. We should seek to to allow God to purify us in these ways. But we should also realize that these are these are gifts, right? These are right. these are gifts from God in the spiritual. Life. Well, and so that's I was going to say, you know, knowing that to move forward in the spiritual life, you're saying, yeah, we should pray for these. If if I'm listening to this. And I'm saying, oh, these dark moments, these stretches of dryness, uh, God is so absent from us that I, it can't even be put into words. That's a bit scary. Uh, I, I, I like the consoling presence of God so much better. And uh, I might want to be like that kid who never left home, you know, living in my parents' basement. It's, it's pretty comfortable there. I'd rather not deal with all the pain, the difficulties out there. What would you say to somebody who's having that thought right now? Um, why why would we pursue moving forward to that dark night of the soul? Josh, we are going to go through the dark night of the senses and the dark night of the soul. Everybody, either here on earth or in purgatory, period, right? To, in order to be before God, we are going to be have to we're going to have to be purified of everything that keeps us from God. So the benefit of going through that experience, those experiences here on earth, is that we then get to skip over them in purgatory, right? You get a head so start. Po- <laughs> exactly. That's the point, right? So, and it's it's faster, easier, and better to do it earlier here rather than put it off and wait till till purgatory. Beautiful. So that's what I'd say. You know, don't, right. don't worry about it. Realize it's going to happen to all of us. Father Matthew Spencer, it's always great to have you on the program. We've got about 30 seconds. Could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless all of our listeners, especially those experiencing dryness or difficulty in their spiritual life. Help them through these periods and grant them that consolation that only comes from you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, look forward to speaking with you again sometime soon, Father Matthew. uh, If I don't talk to you before, have a Merry Christmas. And stay tuned. We've got Mass coming up here in just a few seconds on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. See you back here tomorrow on The Inner Life.